Absolutely awesome. Let me encourage you, if you want to affect the next generation in this country and make America really great with the love and the truth of God, we invite you to be a part of Power Kids. Debbie will be in the back right after the service where you can sign up and just get involved in the lives of young children. Also, we are reaching out to the Ronald McDonald House downtown. Most of you are aware they um, provide services for families that have children that are, that are going through serious illnesses. And we're coming alongside of them. We're helping cook meals, provide those meals for those families in those difficult times. And we have it all laid out for you. So if you're interested in just getting involved in someone else's life, and to be honest with you, it's usually someone else's life that we don't want. It's, it's an event that's usually going on for someone else that we're, we're praying to God that we don't have to walk through. So if you would be interested in bringing kindness into those people's lives, sign up in the back with Suzanne. Also, we have our, our teachers, Love Our Teachers um, outreach for C.E. Williams School. The school has approached us. The teachers have approached us. They want somebody to walk alongside of them. They have decided they want Christian input into their lives, and they've asked us to kind of come along as individuals and, and just encourage them throughout the year. So if you're in a place in your life where you could do that, where you could give a gift, where you could, you know, send a card, where you could maybe meet up for coffee or just speak life into the heart of a, a teacher, let me encourage you to be a part of that. And you can sign up in the back for that. So let's talk about what we want to talk about, huh? Category five right now. Yeah, that baby is, is zinging. Um, yeah, so... Um, we know what they don't know what the heck they're talking about. Have we already decided that spaghetti models? I mean, just give me a stink and break. I think most of us could have figured out that it was going to probably go in this direction. We don't know where it's going to hit yet. We, we, you know, we, there are a couple things we would kind of like, but, you know, personally, I would just like it all go out to sea so that people who cannot handle this situation don't have to handle this situation. A lot of us have asked the question, you know, how do we help the church in this? If it comes near us or if we get the northeast quadrant, let's say it goes in at Savannah, that would be our worst case scenario. But if it hits us, uh, we will flood. There is no doubt about it. I, I, you know, I'm going to ask you to pray a really odd prayer. That if we, if we flood, which we probably will flood, it doesn't take more than six inches in an hour to reduce their Church Creek Basin to um, a flood zone. And that's why we're so heavily involved with the Dutch and with the city on this issue. Could I ask you that if we, if we flood, that you would ask God that the roof would blow off? Um, <laughs> I, I am serious. I, I really ask that you would have it just blow right off. And I mean, the flood claims $500,000 limit, but if the roof comes off, baby, it's $1.8 million. <laughs> and, and, and that would give, give us the opportunity across town where we would actually lift the interior of the building uh, four to six to eight feet, and we could rebuild the whole structure so that it would be flood proof. So this would be a pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag local pastor out of his mind. Yeah. No, so, you know, we have learned after three flooding events that you have to think differently about adversity in your life. Begin to see maybe how God can work things in it. So, we could use some help coming up in the next couple days. 
So we ask that you download our app. If you don't know how to do that, Josh will be in the back right after the service, and he can show you how to download the app where you'll get notifications about when we need help lifting certain equipment out of the way, when we need, you know, if the storm hits, what our plans are right afterwards, um, so we can keep you informed so that you can be a part of that. We also want to set up so that we can hit, help families across the street that will get hit heaviest by the flooding. So please download our app and we'll keep you informed of everything that's going on here. We will not be having our encounter service this coming Wednesday. We don't want anybody to have to worry about planning for that. So, and please, um, uh, if they tell you to leave, I mean, other than people who are born and raised on Folly Beach that are shaking their heads no at me right now, it really is a good idea. Uh, All I gotta say, if you're a northerner and you've moved down here, there is an idea that they figure you're going to vacate and that the southerners are going to keep you from getting back to your homes. So uh, just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. But just please be very careful. If you're all alone and you don't have a plan, please contact us. Again, visit with Josh and our team in the back right after the service to see how we can partner with you and prepare you for this event. So... This series is about relationships. We're talking about the power of living together with an uncommon kind of love, something different than what we see worked out on the canvas of life in our culture, something uncommon from God that would enable us to live in common together in life. I mean, let's face it, we do have relationship problems. We're not really good at it, and it pops up in every kind of relationship. So we've been asking God to kind of change us, kind of do something inside of us so that we could have an uncommonness of God work something in us so that our relationships would be something different, that we could live in common in marriage, at work, and families. So our theme verse, and I'm going to read it to you today from a different version of the scriptures. It's just as accurate, but it kind of breaks it out a little bit more. But this is our theme verse. This is what we're asking God to do in the middle of this series. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you. Now, that's a really interesting start to a verse. I mean, this is like serious stuff. It's like if if you want to save your marriage, if you want parenting to go the way that you and God want it to go, if you want cultural experiences to be different than what you've experienced in the past, if we want to see a difference in race relationship or gender relationships, if we want to see real change in our culture, Paul says, I beg of you, I appeal to you, these principles from God. He says, I appeal to you, brethren, that to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all of your members and faculties as living sacrifice. Present yourself the way that you do life, the way that you do relationships, the way that maybe you're white or the way that you're black, the way that you're Italian, the way that you're white or, or I mean, uh, male or female, whatever it may be. He says, whatever you are, he says, I'm asking that you will take that and that you will dedicate it to God so that God can do something uncommon about it. You know, that we won't just rest in, in our uh, social definitions. 
but rather he says, take all that and I beg of you that you give it to God so that something different can happen in your life, that something different can happen in America, so that something different can happen in your marriage. He said, dedicate your bodies, presenting all your members the way that you do life as a living sacrifice, holy and devoted and consecrated and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. This culture is not winning to this age. Do not be conformed, fashioned after, or adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals, its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourself what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for your life. It's like, you're going to just have to present yourself. And if you've been coming to Crosstown, you know I've told you, and I mean this with all my heart, that I have presented myself as a, as a baby boomer white guy, chauvinistic white guy. And it's like, well, I can't believe you're admitting that. No, that's the body of life that I'm presenting to God. Because I don't want to beat that anymore. I want to be more than that. I, want to, I don't want the limitations of relationship to be defined just by my gender or my, the color of my skin or the, the date of my birth. I, I want something different to happen inside of my life so that you experience something through my life that is totally unexpected. Something that you just didn't think you were going to get love or respect or dignity from a person with my definition. So God is, is just saying, listen, if you're going to do it different, you want something uncommon to happen, present yourselves to me. God doesn't tell you to do anything that he doesn't provide you with the empowerment or the transformation to accomplish. God doesn't say just love harder, do better, become a better person. But he said, no, if you'll just present yourself to me, I'll begin to do a work inside of your life that will transform you. And as we learned last week, our culture is love broken. I mean, we, don't, we use the word love, and we're in love, we're out of love, we fall in it, whatever. We, we, we're just so messed up. Here is the cycle of relationship that seems to work in our culture. This is how it usually flows. Step one, find the right person. Boy, what a burden that is. That you got... You know, especially for that right person. you got to be the right person. Find the right person. Step two, fall in love. Step three, fix all your hopes and dreams on them. Okay, that's step three. That Now, they're responsible for your personal happiness. And then there's step four. If failure occurs, repeat steps one, two, and three. I know it may sound funny, but it's exactly what we do. So we, we, we find the, who we think is the right person, then we fall in love with them, we, make, we put everything about our lives on them, it's up to you to make me happy, and then when that doesn't work out, well then I will just repeat the steps with somebody all over again. Here's God's way out of Romans 12, 1. I mean, this, is, this is the cycle that he wants to call us into, an uncommon cycle. One, become the right person. I tell you, the statistic for second marriages is that 80% of them will fail. Why? It's because people like me who go through the first divorce 
begin to look for the right person because they've assumed that the person they married first was the wrong person. But God really stressed on me that if I wasn't going to be the common statistic of 80%, that something uncommon was going to have to happen in me first. And so God communicated to me that I needed to be the right person for somebody. So step one, become the right person. Two, walk in love. Don't fall in love. You know, don't trip into a hole with it, but rather make a determination that you're going to set the steps of your feet to walk in concepts of, and we learned about them last week, about sacrifice and giving and all the other elements that you've cho chosen to walk in. Step three, fix all your hopes and dreams on God. He's the only one who can handle it. Your wife can't handle your hopes and dreams. Your children can't handle your hopes and dreams. Your boss is not even concerned about your hope and dreams. Only God can handle your hopes and dreams. And step four, if failure occurs, repeat steps one, two, and three. Become the right person, walk in love, and set your hopes on God. See, that's uncommon. We're always looking for the right person instead of deciding to become the right person. We're, we're looking to trip and to fall into love, a gravitational relationship, instead of making a commitment and a decision to walk in love and relationship with God. Relationally, our culture seems to work on contracts uh, where God calls us to life commitments. Most relationships run on this kind of idea. Um, you do your part, I do my part, or else. Kind of a 50-50 thing. You know, it's like, you do your part, I'll do my part, and then we'll have a good relationship. And if you stop doing your part, well, then something happens. Denzel Washington said this. He said, want a great relationship? He says, without commitment, you'll never start. But more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. We want easy relationships. We want relationships to just work, that we just kind of fall into something that, that just works without us having to put a lot of effort into it. We prenup our relationships. You know, prenups kind of became famous in the 90s and the early 2000s. And, and it really was this idea that rich people had so much money that just in case the relationship didn't work out, we needed to assign who was going to get their stuff. Before the relationship even failed, we were going to set it up so that we we're going to write it out. Well, this is how it was going to go. But prenups are not just for the rich. A lot of times we walk into a relationship with a church. You know, hey... This is a cool church. But the moment this church offends me, I'm out the door. We, we're in relationships with people, friends, people we see at work, and, and we kind of enter into a prenup. I'm going to be nice to this guy. I'm going to be nice to this gal. As long as they're nice to me, as long as the exchange is there, otherwise I'm just going to walk out of the relationship. We commit as long, and I think this is really important, we commit as long as the other person does their part. But I don't think it's just that. We commit as long as the other person does their part the way that we think their part should be done. You know, it's kind of like an expectation. Well, I have a certain way that I think my wife should, should do her part as, as my wife. 
And as long as she does her part the way that I think she should do it, we call that a pretty good contract. See, this is common. This is not odd. This is how relationships are being done all the time. But there is an uncommon way of doing relationships. I want you to hear, listen to the quality of relationship God calls us to in the example of marriage. This is, this is stunning. Hebrews 13, verses 4 through 5 say this. Let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, of great price, and especially dear. Oh, just sit on that one for a little bit. Especially dear. Is that what we think about marriage? Now, it, it didn't say this about your wife. It didn't say this about your husband. It doesn't say consider your husband to be held in honor or consider your wife to be. It's like, listen, no, consider your relationship. That you need to consider this relationship, this commitment. You need to consider this especially dear. What a beautiful way of, of portraying what God wants to do in our life. He goes on to say, um, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. How are you holding your marriage right now? You're kind of hoping it's going to work out? You know, it's kind of like, hey, this is pretty good so far. You know, budget's working out, and, you know, she's doing okay, I'm doing okay. We get along, we got some, some things that we, you know, how do you, do you, how do you hold it? Do you hold it tentatively? I mean, I have to admit, in my second marriage, I was scared. Um, that, you know, because seven years is usually the market where things kind of fall apart. And so I can remember it, it, you know, I did everything that I felt the Lord wanted me to do. But in this, I wasn't sure I could make a marriage work. After the first one didn't work, you kind of think, well, you know, maybe I just, maybe I'm just not that guy. And so I remember the first seven years, I'm like, I hope this works out. I hope this works out. I hope it works out. And I remember it was like year 20. I had that thought, I really hope this works out. And I was like, it worked. what are you doing? It worked out. You know, but I began to look and say, well, I'm holding this relationship differently. I'm holding it especially dear. This relationship is so important to me. See, this is uncommon. This is not how we do relationships in America today. So let me ask you, how in thought and deed, husbands, how are you holding that relationship? Dads, how are you holding your relationship with your son right now or with your daughter? Moms, how are we holding the relationships that we have with our friends? Because God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What an incredible thing for the God of heaven to say, who could find fault in us in every turn. I mean, he knows the meditation of our hearts. If anybody's going to find out about, you know, that we're messing up, I think it's him. And he said, listen, I just want to let you know the context of our relationship, the commitment level I'm working at as your favorite deity is, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And then he says, listen, this is the uncommon language I want you to have as people who go to church together, people who do life together, in your marriages, in your families, this idea of holding each other 
especially deer. Oh my goodness. I mean, this, that phrase alone is just, just changes the way that you think about relationships. If we're going to have meaningful marriages, if we're going to have meaningful relationships, we got to be willing to be unhappy for a while. We got to be willing to, to work it out. We're going to have to commit to each other. Even in moments of conflict, we're going to have to say to each other, listen, I'm not going anywhere. We're, going to, we're just going to work it out. We're in, a, we're in a difficult place, but I'm willing to work this out. I want you to watch this and listen to the power of being present and engaged in holding a relationship especially dear. Well, it's real simple. You got two more quarters and that's it. Now most of you have been playing this game for 10 years. And you got two more quarters and after that most of you will never play this game again as long as you live. Now you all have known me for a while and for a long time now, you've been hearing me talk about being perfect. Well, I want you to understand something. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. It's not about winning. It's about you and your relationship to yourself and your family and your friends. Being perfect is about being able to look your friends in the eye and know that you didn't let them down because you told them the truth. And that truth is, is that you did everything that you could. There wasn't one more thing that you could have done. Can you live in that moment as best you can with clear eyes and love in your heart? With joy in your heart? If you can do that, gentlemen, then you're perfect. I want you to take a moment and I want you to look each other in the eyes. I want you to put each other in your hearts forever because forever is about to happen here in just a few minutes. Boys, my heart is full. My heart's full. Ivory. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Man, that is absolutely powerful. That's uncommon. To be in relationships that succeed require to be present and engaged in the moment. Dads, are you present and engaged in your, in your daughter's moment right now? Moms, are you present and engaged in the life of your children? Are we engaged in the life of the people around us? Are we present? It's not about the scoreboard. Husband, it's not about winning the argument against your wife. It's not about that. 
It's about keeping the promises that you made to the people around you. That's the uncommon thing, that when it's difficult, that we stay in, that we are present and engaged in the moment. And I know I I speak mostly to men at this point. It's easy for us to be present and engaged elsewhere, to be engaged at the gym, at the golf course, to be present and engaged in our cars or our jobs. It's the way our brains work with. But God's calling us to that place to be present and engaged in the life of our families, our relationships. There's this really great quote. Commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in left you. That's commitment. Everybody can make a a commitment when when all the... You know, chemicals are all in the right place. When the winds are all happening, anyone can make a commitment. But rather, commitment means that I'm going to be loyal to you even when the feelings are all gone. That is uncommon. I know there's going to be a day when it will get tough and you can count on me. That's what commitment says. And you only need commitment when you need it. It's only there when it's hard. The thing that makes the periodic table work is the predictability and the stability of the molecular relationship. It's the commitment on the molecular level. The thing that makes the tides work is the predictability and the stability of the gravitational relationship. In the life of humans, this is called commitment. I will be there for you. And there will be times when storms will come and they will surge against the predictability of the tides. They will try to alter the equation of life. Everyone experiences that. We as a city are going to experience that. You and your marriage and your dating are going to experience that. But there is this thing called commitment that God has called us to, that God has not only called us to, that has empowered us to be able to see happen in our lives. Because I know you're here today like me, and you're saying, I can't do it. I can't stay in this. I can't, I don't know if I got what it takes for the long haul of this relationship or this difficulty. And you know what? You're probably right. You probably can't do it. But the apostle told us in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why do we read that and think that he's not talking about marriage? Well, this is the Apostle Paul. He's talking about being burned at the stake or fighting against rebels or ships being sunk or whatever. No, he may be thinking about marriage right here. It's like, I can't do this marriage. And then he said, well, wait a minute. God has not asked me to do anything that he hasn't empowered me to do. And he discovered I can be a dad through Christ who strengthens me. I can work with that jerk at work because Christ strengthens me. I can stop being that jerk at work because Christ strengthens me. I can do all things. Remember, God doesn't say try harder, but rather God is looking to empower us. And God has made commitments to help every single one of us. 
I want you to realize this five simple commitments that God has made to you already. But God hasn't just made these commitments to you. He's made these commitments to you so that you can say, he did it so that I can. God made these commitments to you so that you can be empowered to make these commitments to other people in your lives. First one, God committed to prioritize you. God made that commitment. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know that he laid down his life for us. He chose us, he prioritized us, and he laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers or for our relationships. He prioritized me, not just so that I could experience that great love, but so that I could in turn now be empowered to prioritize every one of you. It's like, well, there's too many of them. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every one of my grandchildren, my neighbor, whether I like them or not. You know, the people that I meet in the store, he prioritized me so I can make the decision that every human I come in contact, no matter how different they are of me, that I can give them the gift of, pri of being prioritized, that they matter, that they count, and that I can give them love. Number two, the second commitment that God has done is God is committed to pursue you. God has committed to pursue you. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who hears my voice opens the door, and I will come in and eat with him and he with me. God has committed to pursue us, and he's pursuing every single one of us even today. He stands at the door and knocks at every one of our lives. And now you've got to decide, have you received that commitment of God for yourself? Have you opened up the door and allowed Christ into your life? So that, that he can do life with you. Not so that, I love the verse that says that not just so that he can come in, but rather so that I can come in and eat with him. And he doesn't just say so that I can dictate the relationship, but and he with me. So there's this, this going on of relationship inside this inside the heart of every one of us. And God says, I have pursued you. You didn't seek me. I've been knocking at the door of your life. And he did that so that what? So that you and I can begin to knock on the doors of the lives of our children. That broken relationship that we have, what do we normally do? I mean, I have a phrase that I use. Well, I'll modify it. Um, I have a phrase that I can use on Sunday. I'll say, bump you. Uh, bump them. I don't give a rip. Just bump them. And, and God says, no, there was no point at this, in this relationship where I just said, well, bump them. If they want it, they can come find me. But rather, we're told in Scripture that he pursues us. Why? So that you and I can, when, when you have a conflict with your wife, you pursue her. Not chase her down. Not argue into the next room. Maybe I should have flipped the genders on this one. Maybe it's not so that you could follow your husband into the next room and, and make sure you, he understands what you're talking about, but rather that we pursue one another in our broken relationships with the love of God. Number three, God committed to possess you. Now, I know that's not like, for our culture, that sounds kind of, 
like a weird phrase. Let me just read to you the verse that it comes out of. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God was communicating to us, we are his very own. We are his possession. What does that, in romantic language, what does that mean when you are possessed in heart and soul and mind by another person? You are beloved. Now, we may think, well, possess sounds like a weird word, but let me just tell you, when it's, when it's marvelous, when it's loving, when it's mercy, don't we all want to be possessed? Don't all children want to be beloved by their fathers? Don't, don't want all wives want to be cherished and possessed and especially dear, considered by their husbands? You know, and this is what God is communicating to us. He did this to us already. He's saying, I have committed myself. You are my possession, Paul. Uh, you're mine. You're my beloved. I have called you. I have chosen you. I am yours. God, I thank you so much. He says, as I have possessed you, I want you to possess your wife. I want you to possess your children. I want you to possess, treat beloved, the people that you know, the, the person who who checks you out at Publix or as you're going through Lowe's or wherever you are. I want you to consider them beloved. I want you to, to possess them with the love of God. He did so we can. Number four, God committed to protect, protect you. David, who has been chased all of his life, who has fought giants, who has fought wars, he knows what it's like to make mistakes and he's been on the run, said in Psalm 121, verse 1, he said, I look up towards the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. He said, I've been protected by God. When things get tough, when the waters begin to rise, when there's challenges in life, when there are threats, he said, I know that there's somebody that's going to protect me. And, and God is saying to us, I protect you. Now, I've done it for you so that you can protect others. Are your friends protected by you? In America, we say, do you have their back? When they leave the room, what do you say about them? Do you protect them? You know, a little example of this that happened just yesterday. We had cars and coffee. We had a bunch of really cool cars out there and and all this stuff, and um, uh, it was just a blast. And after it was all over, um, I decided I wanted to drag race one of the fastest cars out there <laughs> with my SUV. You know, and it was as funny as I was uh, listening to the video, the guys were just, guys just can just run their mouths, but I was in the video, it, I heard some people say things like, what a bunch of idiots, what a bunch of dummies. Now, I didn't hear it in person, but I was in my car down there about to race. And I began to think, wow, if I'm ever out of the room, is somebody calling me an idiot? 
When, when your wife leaves the room, what do, you t- what do you say about her? Are you protecting her, even when maybe she said the wrong thing? When your friends are out of the room, do you have their back? Do you always, and, and in my family, I'm, I'm notorious for when having all daughters, daughters do what daughters do, and you can write me up for being that chauvinist again after this is all over with, but they can kind of get a little, you know, argue about, you know, each other. It's what sisters do, but don't get between them. They'll kill you. They will kill you. And so when maybe two were out of the room, one's in the room, and like, well, I really think, you know, maybe Deanna is this a little bit. And I'll be like, well, wait a minute now. I know, but I'll tell you what. She's incredibly merciful, isn't she? Oh, what an incredible servant. She just loves the truth of God. And the kids have really started, gotten to this dramatic eye roll because every time they want to talk bad about each other, that they'll always hear me step in and say, yeah, you know, they're out of the room, but I'm going to defend them while they're out of the room. And guess what? When you're out of the room and they do this to you because we all do it, I'm going to defend you also. And what David is telling us is that God is committed to protect us. He did so that you and I can protect one another and have each other's back. Number five, this is the last one. God committed to give you mercy. Probably the best verse in all the scripture. Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, God did that for you and me. Not just to do it for you and me. He did it so that you and I could do it for one another. So that when I blow it, he gives me mercy. And I know it every single day. But he committed so much to me so that he could empower me that no matter who you are, whether you're in my family, you're in my neighborhood, you're in my way, that every single day I give you brand new mercies. He did it so that we can. So as we move into our closing moment of expressions, let me ask you about your relationships. And yeah, you, can, you could give me a common answer. Well, that's what she said, and that's what they did, and that's what my father did to me. That's what my boss did to me. This is what, you know, this colored person did to me. This is what this gendered person did to me. Those are common. Those are so common. We got to do something uncommon. And in order to get something uncommon, we're going to have to present our lives to God for Him to do something uncommon in us. So let me ask you, dads, husbands, are you present and engaged with your wife, with your children? Are you in this moment with them? Moms, wives, wherever we are in relationship, no matter who it is that God has called us into relationship with, even when we're checking out. I was in the doctor's office, not my usual doctor, it was a specialist that I, a specialist that I went to, and they, I, 
had found out some bad information. It was about a month ago and about my body. And, and I was literally covered with terror about the, what maybe the future of my life was going to look like. The person came in and they sat down. The medical professional came in and they looked on their laptop, their laptop, and they were talking. So, Mr. Rianzo, um, what brings you in here today? And they just kept typing away and typing away and typing away. And I just sat there. And I just sat there. And I just sat there. And I said to this person, are you ever going to look at me? She turned over to me. I said, I'm in a, I'm in a point of crisis in my life right now. And I need you to look at me. When you talk to me about probably the greatest challenge of my life, I need you to be present and engaged. As, as my physician, I need you to be present and engaged in my life right now. You can imagine that relationship didn't really work out too well. But you know what? Is there anybody in your life right now that's saying, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, coworker, I need you to be present and engaged with me right now. Husband, I need you to be present and engaged with me now. Wife, I need you, I need you to be in this moment with you. Fellow Christian, I need you to look at me, see me, know my hurt, my pain. I, I need you to be with me in this moment. You say, well, I, I don't know if I can do that. God did so that you and I can. God stepped into our moment. We call it, in technical phraseology, we call it the incarnation. What that means in the original English is I am in your moment right now. I am flesh and blood in your life. I'm looking right into your heart. I'm knocking. And I'm going to do this for you. Why? Not only because I love you and you're my possession, my beloved, my cherished, that you are especially dear to me, but so that you can do this for others. Father, as we enter into this incredible moment, that we do not come into the presence of a judging, condemning God, but we come into a presence of a God who stands at the door and knocks, that wants to enter into our lives and do life with us and us with you. So Father, we come. And we don't know how we're going to do this, but Lord, you have not called us to do anything that you haven't already promised that you will empower us to do. So today, we hear the appeal, the urgency, the begging of the word of the apostle, apostle present your lives to God. And today we present our lives to you. Transform us, renew us, fill us, save us, enable us through your presence and your spirit. Let me encourage you. As you take the bread and the cup and that this is a moment that he, he stepped into your moment. And today, as you take that, don't let it just be a habit. And can I urge you that this isn't time to high five or talk about your favorite football team with someone else. Let this be a moment where you stay in this moment engaged and present with God. Let him do something first in you. And then when we leave here, we can be present and then engage with others. But let this be a time where his mercy, his strength, his spirit fills you as you take the bread and dip it into the cup. 
whether it's a time where you engage with God through prayer and pin a, a request to the cross, or maybe it's a moment where you, you present your offering to God, but this is a time that you are present and engaged with your Heavenly Father who wants His kingdom to come on earth just as it is in heaven, who wants to give you your daily bread to forgive all your trespasses. We thank you, God. Let me invite you into this moment.